0: We'll please have that passage open in front of you in the Old Testament in Hosea and chapter 11. And the text we're looking at really is verse 3. But one of the great purposes of the Bible, the Word of God, is to reveal the truth concerning God, <clears throat> concerning ourselves, and the great need that each one of us has to be saved through the Lord Jesus Christ. And the Gospel, we know in the Word of God, is described as the, the power of God necessary to change lives and to take people from darkness, spiritual darkness, into the light of the glory of the Lord Jesus Christ. And so here, tonight, and really everywhere else in the world, there are simply two kinds of people. There are those who have been saved and who are found trusting in the Lord Jesus, and those who have not, those who remain unchanged in their sin and in their rebellion and enmity against the Lord and really as you're here tonight each one of us is in one of those two places we're either in Christ or we're not and throughout the the Bible we see Christ Christ throughout the scriptures and that's certainly true in this book of Hosea and uh, in this passage that we have before us we see very much how God in his grace and mercy changes people from being lost sinners to becoming his own children. And in order to show these things and teach these things, God often uses these illustrations in his word to help us understand. And in this great passage concerning God's continuing love for Israel, we have some of these pictures. And so if you look carefully at verses 3 and 4, there are two distinct pictures of the way that he turns people to himself of what it is to be converted, what it is to be saved. And the first picture is verse 3, where it says, I taught Ephraim to walk, taking them by their arms. And the picture is of a a father teaching one of his little ones to walk. Such a lovely picture. And it's really easy for us to understand. You see, the father stands behind his, his child and he takes hold of their arms and he He listens to their feet and he begins to move them gently forward, helping them to take little steps. And really, it's a picture of God drawing and leading his children from the darkness into the light, from being sinners to those saved by his grace. And that's the picture we're going to focus on this evening. But then in verse 4, you've got another picture. It says, I drew them with gentle cords, with bands of love, and I was to them as those who take the yoke from their neck I stooped and fed them. And so it's a picture of a farmer. And uh, at that time, farmers used to use sort of farm animals, big animals to do some of their their heavy work. And in the case of the oxen, you put a yoke on their neck and they would pull along a plow or something of that manner and the farmer would guide them through the work. And once the work was done, the farmer caring for his animals would take the yoke off their neck and any other restrictions and he would stoop down and he would sort of stroke and pat them and give them food and water. And that picture, again, is of God drawing and, and bringing to rest and in love meeting needs and feeding. And again, it's a, it's a lovely picture of the gospel. And, you know, instantly we're, we're taught some very clear initial lessons. One of them is this. If God doesn't take hold of us and train us and teach us, We'll never find our way in the things of the gospel. You know, we need to be taken hold of. God has to break into our lives. You know, he has has granted means such as these. You know, it's why we come together around the word of God to hear it explained and proclaimed. These precious means of grace to, to draw people to himself in salvation, to build his people up and bring them on. You know, his own dear children who love him and whom he loves. It's God's way of preparing us for, for life in heaven and in glory. God must teach us and direct us and he does it through his word. And then also it, it reminds us that this work of salvation is all of God's grace. His sovereign grace and mercy and love. He draws, he teaches, he trades, he brings sinners to life. And you know, he doesn't need to do any of that. But it is his good pleasure and purpose to do so. You know, it's, it's easy to misunderstand churches and the Bible and true worship. You know, there's so much confusion out there. But really, it's, it's very simple. You know, we come to the Word of God and we long for the Lord to speak to us. You know, and people react against things like this. You know, have I got to sit there and listen to that man again? But don't think of it like that. You know, here you are this night, you're in the presence of God. You've been granted a place where God speaks for his word and he can deal with you and he can show you the way to true life in the Savior. Maybe you've turned in and you've never been before and, and all of a sudden you're confronted with these things. And God is able to lead us from darkness into light. And also another aspect is this, when God turns people to himself, he doesn't force them into the kingdom. You know, there is an idea, you know, some say, sort oh, of, well, you know, conversion, it's like God taking a, a big stick and he, he beats us into the kingdom. Oh, no, my dear friends. It's not like that. He draws us and he woos us, as it were, into his kingdom. He, he breaks down all our resistance and he, he comes to us with irresistible grace and he leads us. And sometimes it's a, it's a very quick thing Sometimes it's over time, but it's always in the right way. It's always in the right time. Like the father leading and teaching his child to walk. God leads us along at the right pace to lead us on to himself. And so that's the picture I want us to look at tonight. Step by step to the Savior, using this picture of a father teaching his child to walk. And I just simply want to outline the nature of some of these steps by which the Lord leads us to trust him and leads us to salvation, that he picks us up in our hopeless condition and brings us to trust his son, the Lord Jesus. Now, not every believer's experience is identical, but there are certain aspects of salvation that are always present. And sometimes, as I said, the process is very quick. Sometimes it's over time. That's not important. It is coming through to true faith in the Lord Jesus by the gracious working of God, to actually be in Christ, to know your sins are forgiven and that you're right with God. And so there are initial steps that bring us on the way out of the dark. That doesn't mean that we're converted at that stage, but then there are steps that take us actually into the light of Christ, into salvation. I'm going to look at those two things. So the first few steps are out of the dark, how God begins to lead us out of the darkness And the first step that usually occurs by the gracious leading of the Lord is that our interest is awakened. You know, in our natural state, we don't have any interest in the things of God or in the Bible or in the means of grace. You know, we couldn't think of anything worse. And so there comes a time when our interest is awakened. You know, and it might not sound very dramatic, but it's a necessary beginning. You know, we're we're shaken to take some interest in in spiritual things, in the Bible, in the things of God. And sometimes the Lord uses others to prompt us. So we might get invited along to a service or or maybe we're given some gospel literature or perhaps we hear a testimony about someone who came to trust the Savior. One way or the other, God awakens interest into things that we previously had no time for. It's the first step. And then the next step, by one means or another, God begins to become increasingly in our thoughts. Sometimes he he gives us a jolt and he shakes us. You know, we read together the prodigal son, that's what happened to him. You know, he was having this wonderful time. You know, he got his inheritance and he had money enough and he had the freedom. He left home and he went into the world and as long as he had money, he had friends. And the drink flowed and the parties and the music and all the rest. He was having a great time, so he thought. But then he ran out of money. And all of a sudden, all his friends disappeared, fair-weather friends. And suddenly, he's left alone. And all the things that he had been trusting were stripped away from him. His whole situation was shaken. And what was he going to do? Well, he was brought to the end of himself. And the Lord began to enter into his thoughts. And suddenly he had to think about the the bigger matters and his his thoughts would lead him to go back to his father and to plead for forgiveness. And you see, that's the way that God breaks in. All the earthly props, they're taken away. And suddenly we have to, to think on things that we had previously avoided. To think about him, to think about death, to think about eternity. I heard one preacher give the following account. It was during World War II. And uh, there was a a preacher called Professor Collins, and he served in a church in Edinburgh. And uh, by all accounts, he was a very dear man of God and served in his church, St. Columbus. And as he was ministering there, two nurses used to come regularly. One was a Christian and the other one was not. And the Christian longed for her friend to come to know the Lord Jesus, but Her friend was just spiritually asleep. She was totally there. She didn't mind going to the services, but, you know, she just, there was nothing taking place. She was happy to come to church, but nothing. Coming and going, every Lord's Day evening at least, nothing. She didn't really understand much, but she liked to be with her friend. She liked to be around the people. And then one day, the two nurses were on their way to church up the high street in Edinburgh, And it was in wartime, and so the lights were were not on so much at night because of the blackout, etc. And as they were walking along, this great military truck came round the corner. Very heavy army lorry. And it came at such speed that where they were walking, the Christian nurse was, was killed outright as the back of the lorry swung round and hit her to the ground. The other nurse, not a Christian, was unharmed. But as you can imagine, she was she was devastated. She was shaken. And immediately she, she started to think, you know, if that had been me, where would I be? You know, I, I'd be lost for all eternity. And all of a sudden, those things that seemingly had, had washed over her were brought to her mind. And she went on to seek the Lord. And she was saved. You see, God, God shook her, awakened her, even through such a tragedy like that. And the Lord works even through great troubles, to awaken people to their condition and their need of him. And God can confront us in a way that makes us sit up and realize, I must do something. I must seek the Lord. And so he awakens us and he he begins to shake us and make us think. And then the next step is this. Sooner or later, we're made aware of our sin, that we're sinners. You know, when we're in the world and we... We don't know about God, we don't think of sin, and if we do, we like to think of sin as being what other people do. You know, we're happy to look around and and see where other people fall short, and we're happy to sort of identify them, but we don't realize that we are all sinners in the sight of a holy God. But as God awakens us, he also makes us aware that that actually is our state that we've done many things wrong, that there is a problem within us that we can't solve ourselves. And the Lord uses his word in this. And suddenly, as I said, and maybe as we prayed and you heard earlier, what is a dead buck often becomes a life. And all of a sudden, the truth that, that was easily dismissed begins to speak. And it's a, it's a wonderful thing how the Bible can suddenly speak to people. Let me give you an example. Uh, a preacher that I knew had a friend in America and uh, this friend that he had in America, this man's uncle, used to go to church. And uh, this, this man had sat in the church all his life, this uncle, and he was so hard. You know, he was a, a churchgoer, but nothing of the gospel had touched his heart. And he had heard thousands of messages over the years, still not saved. But on one occasion, he was in a service and the preacher was reading from the gospel of John. John chapter 10. Now, if you know that passage, there are so many amazing things there in that passage. But do you know what the words were that struck him? Verse 22, these were the words, and it was winter. That was it. And it was winter. And you say, well, how on earth did that speak to you? What has that got to do with conversion and trust in Jesus? Well, this man heard those words, and he started to cry and cry for days. And nothing would comfort him. And you say, well, why? Well, when they came alongside him and spoke to him about what it was in those words that so moved him, he said, that's my whole life. That's my whole life in those words. It's been one long winter, cold, bleak, barren. And he began to seek the Lord. And he was brought to saving faith in the Lord Jesus Christ right towards the end of his life. You see, God working through his word. The Holy Spirit using the word to to impact sinners, to make them aware of their sin and their need. And then the next step as we go along is that people begin to have a fear of being punished by God, that there is a judgment. You know, generally people in the world are not afraid of, you know, being punished by God. They don't believe in God. And so judgment and punishment doesn't affect them. They, they think, well, that's a nonsense, it's rubbish. But when people are being taught by the love of God, they begin to fear him because they begin to realize who he is. And they fear the punishment of God against sinners. And they begin to understand that, as the Bible says, that one day they're going to have to face this holy God and they will face his wrath and his condemnation and his punishment, and they deserve that. You know, you think of the prodigal again, in that account we read, he was brought to see He'd been a fool. You know, he had to go and face his father. And he realized that he'd wasted his life and he'd shamed his father. And he deserved to be punished for what he'd done. Maybe you've heard of John Bunyan. He was the, the writer of a very well-known work called Pilgrim's Progress. And he knew this in his own experience. Maybe some of you have heard this before. Apparently, Bunyan used to really enjoy Uh, church bell ringing, and uh, there was a little church in the place where he lived, and this church had a a tower, and in it was a a bell, and he was involved in the the bell ringing at various points, but there was a time when he was not yet a Christian, but God was beginning to deal with him, and uh, beginning to draw him to the Savior, and he didn't fully understand what was going on, but something spiritual was happening in his soul, and on one occasion he was ringing the church bell, and he began to look up, and the bell was huge and very very heavy and he suddenly began to worry that that if he pulled on this, this thing too hard that the bell might fall and it would crush him to death and he didn't you know he didn't want to give up the bell ringing but all of a sudden he was frightened and so he decided well if I stand a bit further away from the bell you know if it falls it would miss but then he thought well if the bell is swinging it could hit that wall and bounce off that wall and still hit me and kill me and so he went outside the door. And then he feared that the tower itself could come down upon him. And he explains that, that suddenly, even with something like that, you know, the, the, the nature of it is one thing, but he knew that life was fragile. And he knew that he wasn't safe anywhere and that no sinner is safe except when they run to Christ. You see, God had begun to work in his heart and there was a fear of punishment without the Lord Jesus. And, you know, when people are awakened to this extent, the next step is they start to think seriously about the message of the gospel, about the Bible and the promises of God. They start to search. You know, maybe they've said many prayers before. Maybe they've even dipped into the Bible before. But now they're really praying. Now they're really reading the Bible to find out how they can be sure that they've got Christ for their soul. They want to know God. Some of you will be familiar with the name William Haslam and uh, he was around in the mid-1800s. He was an Anglican vicar uh, but on one occasion he was preaching to the congregation in Baldu in Cornwall and uh, now many in the congregation that he served there have been genuinely converted and impacted by the great move of God that was taking place at that time amongst the Methodists etc. And uh, he heard the testimonies of being born again and of trusting the Savior, and it troubled him because he'd never known that for himself. And so he went to see another minister who was a converted man who explained to him again, well, he said, you need to be saved. You need to be born again. You need to know the Lord. And so these two men prayed together, and Haslam said afterwards there was still nothing. And the next Sunday he he was so troubled, but he, he had to preach. And uh, so he determined that he would say a few words on the need to be converted, even though he didn't know anything about it himself. And said, well, I'll, I'll, I'll give the message, dismiss the congregation. But then he writes this. Something was telling me all the time as I was delivering that message, you are no better than the Pharisees. You do not believe that he has come to save you any more than they did. And he goes on, he says, I don't remember all I said, but I felt a wonderful light and joy coming into my soul. And I was beginning to see what the Pharisees did not. And whether it was in my words or my manner or my look, I know not, but all of a sudden a local preacher who happened to be in the congregation stood up and putting up his arms, shouted out in Cornish fashion, the parson is converted, hallelujah. You know, as God leads people on, they want to know the reality of the truth of the gospel, of knowing Christ, and they are restless in their searching. My friend, let me ask you, where are you tonight? Do any of these initial steps, do they they resonate with you? Or are you still in the dark? Are you living only for this world? You know, it is our prayer and our longing that God will begin to lead you out of the dark. You know, in these ways that I said that you'd be awakened, that you would be interested, that you would realize that there is a God, and that one day you will face him. And outside of Christ, that is a, a terrible proposition. So out of the dark, but then as we draw things together into the light, It's interesting, really, in those first few steps, it is possible to be near but not converted. You know, a person might have some interest. They they might have some fear of the future. They might begin to look at things differently to a point through what we call common grace. You know, think of Felix in Acts. You can read about it. You know, he was interested. He wanted the Apostle Paul to, to preach the gospel. He had some sense of the fear of God, and yet he wasn't converted. But these next steps, they reveal that a work of grace has taken place. And you say, well, what are they? Well, as the Lord leads us on, the next step is a person is brought to realize in their experience that there was a time when they could not believe, but now they can believe. There is a great change. They're brought to see that they can believe the truth of God. They can believe in the Lord Jesus Christ. One well-known preacher has actually preached in this pulpit gives an example of his own father. And he explained that for 60 or so years of his life, even whilst, you know, the son was a minister of the gospel, his own father could not believe. You know, he was honest about that. And when he would speak to his son, who was a, a gospel minister, he would say, son, I just don't believe that Jesus Christ is the Son of God. I just don't believe it. And he would say it in a kind way. But the persistence in his unbelief was clear. He could not believe. But then there was a gradual change. And the Lord began to intervene and teach and lead and draw. And instead of saying that he couldn't believe it anymore, he began to say, I do believe it. I believe that Jesus Christ is the Son of God, that he is my Savior. It was a great change. And it's only affected by the work of God in the heart. Those who could not believe are now brought to believe. They look to Christ. They look to his perfect life, his saving work on the cross, and they, they trusted him alone to be saved. They had not before. But now they see the truth. They believe the truth. The truth sets them free. It's a wonderful thing. A person is brought to realize and brought to believe. And then a person who is brought to the gospel light in Christ realizes this change has now brought a conflict within. And you say, well, how is that a good thing? Well, let me explain. The converted person now discovers a conflict within, something that the unconverted person knows nothing about. You know, an unbeliever is aligned with the world and with the enemy. And so their position, while expressed in different ways, is always against the Lord. It's always against the Savior. It's always against the Bible. It's always against the gospel and all those things. But when a person is converted, they're taken over to the Lord's side. And so, you know, now they're against the world. Now they're against the enemy. They believe in Christ. They believe in his saving death on the cross and his resurrection. They believe that he is who he says he is. And in this, they become aware of a a fight, a a struggle going on. And you say, well, why? What's taking place? Well, now there are two forces at work within a person's soul and mind. One is the, the power of new life in Christ, the grace of God. But then you've got the enemy seeking to ruin and drag back into the world. And so there's the conflict between light and darkness, grace and sin. It's just a new experience, especially when someone's first converted. And it can be, you know, they wonder how it can be. But as they go on with the Lord, they realize that this is what it is to be a true believer. has to say no to the enemy, yes to God, and keep turning to the Lord. And it's a battle, struggle. But grace sustains us and keeps us. You know, they're aware of it. And then a person is brought to the gospel light. Knows the comfort of God. So it is again, it's so wonderful when these things take place. You know, maybe you can remember when you first came to know the Lord if you're a believer tonight. You know, maybe it was a wonderful time, maybe it was a, a bit of a roller coaster, too. We can be up and down, and we can think that we're believers, and then maybe we have doubts. And but as we go on, the Lord grants to us this wonderful comfort, and He, he leads us and He He feeds our minds with his word and with the sweet promises and comforts. You know, one Scottish preacher who I heard at a conference a number of years ago spoke of an occasion of a a young lady who who started to come to the church and he and his wife had been trying to help her spiritually. And uh, she was going along to the church. She was listening to the gospel well, but she'd not really given anything away as to where she stood. And then one day, this young lady came over to the manse and she was, she was so excited and she began to explain how she had been reading her Bible and she had been sort of looking into these things and she was, she was thrilled and she'd been reading in Isaiah and she'd been in Isaiah 43. And so the minister said, well, well why don't you read it to us? Show us what you've been, been reading. And so she began to read it and she got to these words, almost the very first words of the passage, fear not, for I have redeemed you. I have called you by your name. You are mine. And as she read those words, this young lady, she she broke down in tears. She couldn't read anymore. But you see, what had happened was she had tasted for the first time the heavenly comfort of the promises of the word of God. And she knew that what she was reading in the scriptures was true of her. She knew that as she trusted in the Savior that these things were there. As believers, we know that. You know, many times we have have read the word and often it's been through tears and we have wept with joy at the promises of God and the very thought of God and our precious Savior. And our hearts and minds are are taken up in wonder at how he could love us and, and do the things that he did and go to the cross for us and the comfort of all of that. When God says to your soul, I have redeemed you. I have called you. You are mine. You don't need to fear. It's a a taste of glory. Nothing compares to it. And then as we finish, a person who is brought to the gospel light knows godly sorrow which leads to repentance. You know, there's a a sensitivity to the fact that they've sinned against such a loving and a gracious God and their hearts break that they could have treated the Lord so badly you know, and that remains throughout our, our Christian life, this side of glory, to think that we were in such enmity against him, so great a, a God, and glorious and gracious, and we, we acted against him and in, in disobedience, and we turn away, we repent over what we have been and done, and what we have not been or done, and we resolve to love him, and to obey him, and serve him, and to, to go on with him, and we We want to do that, not to try and earn favor with him. That's the last thing on our minds. We want to go on in that because we love him. And we love him because he first loved us. You know, remember in that passage we read about the prodigal. Do you see the great contrast? You know, the account of the prodigal son. The Lord Jesus told the parable to show what true conversion was. The younger brother being truly converted. He had been reckless and worldly and ultimately was ruined, but he had been truly repentant, and he had come back, and, you know, the father had had mercy and embraced him and kissed his neck, and, you know, there was great rejoicing, the son who was dead is now alive again, lost and now found. Wonderful, the way of the repentant sinner and acceptance with God. But there's another lesson, and it's around the older brother, and that's why we read that part of the passage You see, the hardness of heart of someone whose religion is that of an unconverted moralist, a Pharisee, if you will, someone who's so bound up in their own self-righteousness and pride that they think that they're worthy of acceptance and reward by what they have done. And he despised the grace. was shown to the younger brother. He was furious at the actions of the father. Why? Because he knew nothing of a broken heart over his own sin. He was hardened in self. You know, my friends, the gospel makes it clear that when we are brought to know the Lord, we're given broken hearts, a contrite spirit. We see that we have offended so gracious a God, it causes us to cry out for mercy. It's a mark of life. And we find all our hope and all our peace in the Lord Jesus. And you know, when we run to him, we know that we are loved of him. You know, to know that we are loved of God in Christ, is the most precious thing to know. And you could know it even this night if you trust the Savior. You know, God leads us out of darkness into his light. These different steps by which the Lord brings us. A loving father leading his little child from first to last. The gospel is about what God does. Not about what we must do. It is all of him, God, by his mercy, who gives us the desire to want to be forgiven. And it's only when we put our faith in the Lord Jesus Christ that we are forgiven and pardoned and brought into life. When we turn to him in repentance and faith and we see that we've been saved from sin's penalty, all that was against us, all those barriers have been broken and swept away and we have been brought to know the love and the goodness and the grace of God, all there in Christ. And so again, let me ask you, where are you tonight? Where are you in all of this? Have you even begun? You know, are you alarmed at, at your state, at your sin? Are you fearful of the future? Have you been brought here tonight to seek the Lord? Have you been called out from darkness into the light of the gospel? Has God been speaking to you tonight to say, come to me. Turn away from your sin and your lost ways and, and come to me. Because I would say that this night, if you hear his voice, don't harden your heart. Rather, cry out, I am coming, Lord. I am coming now to thee. Wash me, cleanse me in the blood that flowed on Calvary, and God will hear you. And as a father leads his children by the hands, he will not finish with you until you are safely in his kingdom. There is no more blessed position to be in than to be in Christ tonight. And so, my dear friend, I hope that that is you that you're not in the dark, that you're in the light, and that you've come to Jesus Christ, the one who saves to the uttermost all that call upon his name. May God make it so in your life. Amen.